Good morning. We are going to be in the book of Joshua for the next uh, few weeks, Lord willing. And the book is named after the man Joshua. Which is interesting because he is the successor and he was like the assistant or squire of Moses. We'll hear a little bit more about that. But it's interesting that there's no book named Moses, although we refer to the book of Moses when we refer sometimes to the law, but this book is named after the man Joshua. But what is interesting is that Moses gave him the name Joshua, and that may be something that you didn't know. In fact, he changed his birth name, Hosea, to Joshua. And we read about that in Numbers 15, verse 16, and Deuteronomy 32, verse 44. But importantly, whereas Hosea means he has saved, Joshua means Yahweh saves. And that's quite striking because it is uh, that the people have been in the wilderness. They have come out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses. And I imagine everyone here knows that God got Moses' attention by appearing to him in the form of a burning bush. And it was holy ground, and Moses took off his sandals and did obeisance before the Lord. And the Lord called Moses to be the leader that God wanted him to be to bring his people out of slavery to salvation. And he revealed to him in chapter 3 of Exodus, verse 14 and 15, that his name is Yahweh. He said, I am who I am. And then he said, my name is Yahweh, which is, we, we believe is like a third person form of I am. I am, and then an observer says he is. And that is the people of God recognize who he is. In fact, in Exodus chapter 15, the song of Miriam, it's called. God has delivered his people. He's brought them through the wilderness, through the Red, Red Sea uh, safely. And they sing a song unto the Lord. And they say who he is. They describe him as their deliverer. And then at the end of the, uh, I think it's the fourth verse, it says, uh, Yahweh is his name, which is to say uh, he is well-named or he lives up to his name. He fulfills his name. And everything that God does and reveals to his people, they, well, when you use a verb, I am, well, what are you? Well, um, I'm John. Okay, what, what's that mean? Um, what else are you? Well, I'm a husband. I, 
You see, we define ourselves by predicates. We say, like, I'm a teacher, I'm a blogger. God says, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. Those are both uh, very helpful translations. But then when we look at his third person name, that's how we address him. He calls it his everlasting name. The Jewish people call it his ineffable name. But as God acts, he complements the meaning of his name. He adds predicates as he delivers them, so he becomes our deliverer. He is our deliverer. Who is Yahweh in your life? As you see him at work in your life, you add predicates to the meaning of his name. He's my savior. He's the deliverer of my marriage. He's the protector of my soul. Or, you know, he, he saved me from harm in this particular situation. That's how the people of God grew to know God as he revealed himself to them, not only through the mediation of Moses, but also his acts on behalf of the people. And they witnessed that. And now Moses is going to step back as the people move into the promised land. And it is important that as, as Joshua goes forward, he goes forward with the name Joshua because he recognizes, even as Moses did when he was commissioned to lead the people, uh, he recognizes that his Savior, his salvation is Yahweh. It would be kind of like if I changed my name to Jesus Saves. You know, every time I wrote my name, everybody, every, every time you called me, Jesus Saves, and you got my attention, I would be reminded that my salvation is in the Lord, it's in the Lord Jesus. And that's kind of the way the name Joshua works. All the people are reminded where their salvation lies. It's in Yahweh. Yahweh saves. So it is also important to realize that God chose Joshua. In Numbers chapter 27, in Numbers chapter 27, especially verses 18 through 23, God reveals to Moses that uh, he's going to remain behind. And Moses is concerned about who will shepherd, who will be the leader of his people. And he appeals to the Lord and he describes a good shepherd to the Lord. And the Lord says, I've chosen Joshua. Joshua is going to succeed you. And he is there described as, a, as, as someone who has the spirit, has the spirit. And then it goes on to describe him as that uh, fulfillment of the shepherd because, you know, the the people without a shepherd. In fact, it, it reminds us of Jesus when he sees the crowds and he's moved with compassion because they are a, a flock. They are sheep without a shepherd. 
And that it's the same description that Moses uses and that Joshua is picked to fulfill, that leader, that shepherd. And that's in chapter 27, verses 15 through 17. And part of Joshua's responsibility is to stand before Eliezer the priest. Eliezer the priest through the Urim, which is a, a way in which God would convey his will. The, uh, the priest, Eliezer, would discern the will of God and then convey that to Joshua so that he could command and lead and govern the people according to the will of God. As well as, as we will see when we read a little in Joshua, as well as that which was given to Moses, the law, the book. So Joshua's role is specifically defined as that which is to lead the people into the land. And we see this in Numbers 34, 17, where he is to do that as well as in the first reference in Deuteronomy to Joshua, where Joshua in Deuteronomy uh, 138, God commands Moses to strengthen Joshua, for he will cause Israel to inherit the land. And then again in chapter 3, verse 28 of Deuteronomy, God tells Moses to encourage and strengthen. And when we use the word encourage, it's the, just like the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word means to make strong. When you encourage people, you are in putting courage in them. You are making them strong. You are adding or bringing out in them a strength that they need and perhaps they have lost sight of or forgotten. And God tells Moses to encourage and strengthen him for Joshua will lead his people into the land. And he shall put them in possession of the land. And at the close of Deuteronomy, Moses lays hands on Joshua in chapter 34, 9, and the spirit of wisdom fills Joshua. That's a little background on Joshua. Let's look at Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, and we'll begin reading at the very first verse. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you 
or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous, Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua is being asked to make a choice. The choice seems obvious to us. And the fact that we know the rest of the story, the choice may not seem like a big one, but it is important to realize that Joshua is faced with a choice. And that's where we connect when we realize Joshua is faced with a choice. We can identify with him. When we realize that Joshua is being called by God to make a choice, we can identify with that. Choice is a power. I believe choices are often intoxicating. Commercial pitches are choices. We have more choices than we know what to do with. We have choices and choices and choices. You made a choice to be here this morning. You had other choices. We are full of choices. We have so many choices, we can't make up our minds. I want to watch something on television tonight. What will I watch? Come on, how many of you have spent 30 minutes looking for something to watch because you have so many choices? How many channels do you have through your satellite or your cable? We can't even watch all we have to watch. It's just an example of how many choices we have in a world of multiple choices. Choice is at the heart of the cry for liberty and freedom. Liberty, freedom, it's being used to motivate people. Choice is at the heart of that tug toward liberty and freedom, its defense or its grasp or our resistance to relinquishing any bit of it, choice. The power to choose, the freedom to choose. Choice is an opportunity to exercise autonomy. Autonomy. 
our personal power. We must learn to use our choice wisely. It's harder than ever with so many choices. And sometimes we lose sight of the really important choices because of so many choices. Joshua is faced with a choice. He needs to choose wisely. He needs to make the right choice. He needs to fathom what that choice involves. Sometimes we make choices, but it really isn't much of a choice. Sometimes we don't care what the outcome is. It was just a choice. But choices are powerful, very powerful. So choose wisely. Choices are so powerful, they're like fire. Choices can comfort us, but they can also burn us. And that's why it's so important to make wise choices. God has chosen Joshua. Now Joshua must match that choice. And God's explaining to Joshua what that choice means. Because it's not an easy choice. It's not a choice to be taken lightly. It's not just another choice. It's not one of many choices. It is the choice, the determining choice. And it's a choice that we are asked to make too. So we can identify with Joshua. Because we know something about making choices, but sometimes we don't know all we ought to know about the gravity, the weight, the power, the implications of that choice. Some of us think we made a choice for Jesus Christ. We made the choice. We know the date and the time. Was it a choice? How how much power is in that choice? That's the kind of issue we're talking about here. God calls for all that Joshua's got. He wants Joshua to consider that, to fathom that. I don't think Joshua was surprised by all of this. Moses had been training him, but even so, God says, think about it. I want you to understand what you're doing. Because everything depends upon it. Because I need all you've got. if you choose to do this. The Lord's telling Joshua to be strong and courageous. All you've got, all you've got is all I need. God will accomplish great things, but he needs Joshua, and he needs all of Joshua. And that 
is the same formula for our lives in Jesus Christ. All you've got is all I need. What's really happening here? This, do you realize how old this, uh, this event is? I mean, we can't pinpoint the date, but it's, it's well over 3,000 years. But we can identify. We can identify. Because this account tells us that like all people, we make choices. But this choice is one that we're making for God. And we can make that same choice. And that bridges that 3,000 years as though it weren't even there. Be strong and courageous. All you've got is all I need. God tells him, give me all you've got, Joshua. Give me your best, and I'll do the rest. It all depends upon your choice, that you would hold this choice sacred above all other choices. And we talk about faith, and I know I've struggled with this question years ago. It was like faith was a special thing. But everybody has faith. Everybody. People that are here this morning, people that are not here this morning. People in prison. All people have faith. It, it is a question, not of faith. It's a question of where you put your faith. And where you put your faith changes who you are as a person of faith. When we put our faith in the wrong piece of people, we are trusting in them. We're, we're leaning on them. We're hoping in them. We're doing all the things that we do with Jesus Christ except there's a huge difference between Jesus Christ being our Lord and an old schoolmate or a coworker or even our spouses. See, we, we spread our faith around. God wants all of our faith. He wants us to trust him completely. And that's a constant that's a constant coming back to the gravity and the sanctity of the choice that we make. This, uh, this last week, I've spent um, an awful lot of time talking to my son. He's been facing some very special challenges. And so I've been on the phone with him quite a bit. And I found myself uh, toward the end of the week talking a little bit more about myself and maybe sharing with my son a little bit more of my own story. And uh, it wasn't during the course of that story, but since I talked about that, I, I began reflecting even more fully on my own story. And you could do the same thing. And I think the same thing that happened to me would be the same thing that would happen to you if you've walked with the Lord. You realize that 
There are all these junctions, these forks in the road, these crossroads where we make a choice. And sometimes when we reflect upon our past and our own story, we're going to see that at that crossroad, we chose ourselves. We put our faith in ourselves and not in the Lord. But there are going to be other intersections and forks in which we chose the Lord. And we're going to see a difference in the quality of life that is in the following of that choice. As I reflected on my life, I, I just it, it makes me kind of tremble to think about how choosing the Lord has governed my life. And I have to tell you, I, I'm a very, I just don't want to be anywhere else than the place I'm at, at life, in life at this time. And that will be true for you as you choose the Lord. Sometimes those choices are so hard. They're inconvenient. They're taxing. They are uncomfortable. They're not full of pleasure. They're the farthest thing from what we want to do. Sometimes it's very humbling. Sometimes we have to reevaluate almost. We know it's like a shakedown of who we are. We have to get down to the roots of what we're really all about, especially in our faith and trust in the Lord. But when we do that, when we make that choice, we find strength. Our faith is deepened. Our choices actually become more powerful because they're the right choices. You don't just make one choice for the Lord. You make choices every day, or you should be, because we have crossroads and intersections and forks every day with every person, with every event, with every phone call, with every challenge. We can be making choices for the Lord. We can recognize his presence. We can recognize his promises. We can recognize his provision. And even we can recognize his prodding because Unlike Joshua, well, let me rephrase that. It said Joshua was a, a man of spirit. But we're not sure whether that's, you know, with a big S or a little S. But one thing we know for sure in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. And God prods us. The question is, does our choice for him eclipse our choice for ourselves. Most bad choices are selfish choices. And really, the choice that Joshua has to make is ultimately a choice between choosing God and choosing something he might find in himself and not the way of the Lord that might cause us to hold back when God says, give me your all. Well, I don't, not all, that's an awful, I mean, all is a big word. Uh, and that is a constant struggle, isn't it? Our pride, our selfishness, 
We want it our way. We, we buttress, we, you know, we fortify our, our thoughts. So we call upon verses and things that will support our decision to, to get our own way. But sometimes the Lord is calling us to sacrifice, to let go of our will and claim his will, which sometimes is a will for service, sacrifice, selflessness. That's not, you're not, you're only going to find support for what I'm saying in the word of God, not out there. It's not, We're only going to find the power in Jesus Christ who sacrificed his life for us. God strengthens and encourages us with exclusive promises, necessary provisions, and personal prodding right here in these nine verses. We see his exclusive promises in verses one through five. He promised that he would be with Joshua even as he was with Moses. I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Where do we hear those words again? In the new covenant. In the wake of the revelation and the work of Jesus Christ. These words that were uttered to Joshua that were exclusive to Joshua. A special intimacy. These words are uttered to us. Reflect upon that this week. Think about that. We take those things for granted. This is an amazing and exclusive promise. I will be with you wherever you go. Where did you hear that? In the covenant that is ours in Jesus Christ. The new Moses, if you will. The new Joshua. Because Jesus is Joshua his name is exactly the way you translate the Hebrew Joshua into Greek, Jesus. In fact, it's kind of weird. If you did, some of you are showing me recognition, so you must have watched the letter from home. But in the letter from home, I mentioned that if you read the Greek Bible, it's kind of weird. You're reading Joshua, and everywhere it says Joshua, your mind is reading Jesus. Exclusive promises. In fact, God entrusted his oath to the people, to the choice of Joshua. Because he swore to the people that he would bring them into the land, but now he's putting that into Joshua's hands. And Joshua is to choose. That's a pretty weighty choice he's making. And he, in verses 6 and 8, necessary provisions. He says, what I gave to Moses to guide all the people, the Ten Commandments, the Shema. And we see this especially in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and 6. And then there are special, you know, specifications that were given to the people for the little things that needed to be regulated. But at the heart of it in chapter 5 and 6 of Deuteronomy, there's just no greater provision. 
than the first commandment, which is no other gods beside me, and the Shema, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. The Lord your God, the Lord is your God. The Lord is your God is one. And so it's an exclusive decision, but it has exclusive promises and necessary provisions. And our provision, this is what I want us to appreciate, our provision is even greater in Jesus Christ because we, the Spirit has been poured out on us. And God has, through Christ, has given us the same assurances and promises and provisions in Jesus Christ. Even the great commandment, love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. I am more and more convinced. A lot of times we waffle or we think, gee, that Bible, it's a lot to know. I can't know it all. What do I do? I don't know the will of God. The will of God is right there. Love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. I don't want to get off on that and preach another sermon, but that just in a personal sense, as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, as a human being, as a friend, as a neighbor, as a guy who drives a car, of all these things, my number one go-to question is, Lord, how can I do this in your love? But it's not going to happen unless that first choice is a sacred choice, the choice to give God all you've got. You may fall short. You may find yourself falling short. But if you made that choice, you'll always be compelled. You'll always be urged. And God will prod you to trust him. Because you know that giving him all you've got, well, that's all God needs to do great things in our lives. And that's the personal prodding that we see in verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Well, you see, that asserts that there is just no doubt that God is in this and wants the best and wants Joshua. In fact, he says, don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. If you know the story, you realize there was another time that Joshua was sent into the land. He was one of the 12 spies when they came back, Joshua and Caleb had a really strong report, like, we can do this, let's go. But the other 10 were quaking and quivering with fear, and they were afraid. They said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? And God specifically puts his finger on that when he says, no man shall be able to stand before you. That's a direct illusion. And now he says, don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. So you might say, I'm, I'm not frightened, but I'm a little dismayed. <laughs> no, don't even be dismayed. Don't even hesitate. Trust the Lord, especially if it is in all things that are Christ-like. God emphasizes the words here, you and all this people you see, this, this isn't a job just for a pastor or a Joshua. It's a job for all of us, all the people. It, it goes to the faithfulness that will encourage and strengthen everyone else. 
We are like a chain in Christ as his church. The chain is as, as strong as all the links and no stronger than its weakest. We can all be strong in the Lord. You know the song that I still sing? Because we all face fears. We all face question marks in our own spirit and challenges. People look at us as strong in ways that we know we aren't. And that's why I still love that song that my grandmother taught me as a very young child. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak. We are weak. But he is strong. I'm going to close this in prayer. I want to remind you that as we sing, I'm going to be down here and others will be with me from our staff, elder board, deacon board, if you would like to pray with us. Intercede for someone else. Ask us to intercede for you. Bring something before the Lord. Come to us with a decision for the Lord. We invite you to come. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for revealing yourself to us all in Jesus. So accessible, so much power in your spirit to live for you, to walk with you, to know your joy, to know your salvation. Yahweh saves. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen.